Hello again, and a warm welcome to this special series of the Hive podcast, featuring the interviews from my new book, Business Unusual, Values, Uncertainty, and the Psychology of Brand Resilience. Join me, Natalie Nahai, and some very special guests as we explore the ideas transforming the world of business, brands, and beyond. For more information and resources on today's episode, please visit natalinahai.com forward slash the Hive podcast. And for more information around the book, please visit businessunusualthebook.com. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy the show. Throughout this season, we've been hearing from people whose ideas are transforming the way we work, rest and play. One thing we've looked at is how businesses can be more pioneering, inviting and inclusive. And the past two years have shown us that we have the opportunity to redefine how work works for everyone. That's why I am thrilled to tell you about Forward, a one-day digital summit powered by Plio. Plio is a business spending solution, but it's not just about expenses, receipts and invoices for them. They also have a unique vision to make everyone feel valued at work. That's just one of the topics I'm excited to be exploring at Forward, which I'm very pleased to say I will be hosting. Join me online on December the 9th for stimulating conversations and debates with founders and leaders from companies like Airbnb, Netflix, Spotify and Zendesk. Plus, keynotes from the likes of Kim Scott, the best-selling author of Radical Candor. The world of work is evolving. Don't get left behind. Get your free ticket for Forward today at plio.io forward slash en forward slash forward. That's plio.io forward slash en forward slash forward. I look forward to seeing you there. In this conversation, I speak with Stephanie M. H. Moore, a lecturer of business law and ethics at Indiana University's Kelly School of Business, whose areas of interest and expertise include business ethics, conflict resolution, critical thinking, advocacy, contracts, and legal writing. A registered domestic relations mediator, Stephanie graduated first in her class from Indiana University's Robert H. McKinney School of Law, and she also holds degrees in English and telecommunications from Indiana University. Prior to joining the Kelly School, Stephanie served for four years as a federal law clerk for the Honorable Monroe G. McKay, United States Court of Appeals for the Tenth Circuit. Professor Moore also worked in advertising, sales, marketing, and at Indiana University's Office of Student Conduct, and she has served on the board of several local nonprofits as an Indiana University Title IV Hearing Panel Officer. Stephanie has taught advanced legal writing for Indiana University's Mora School of Law and frequently serves as a case competition judge, panellist and facilitator. So Stephanie, thank you very much for your time and to be in conversation today. I'm happy to be here. So I'd like to start by asking you um, the question that I offer most of my guests, and you can take this question in any direction you want. Given where we are at this point in, in human history, I'm curious to ask what you think is happening in the global human psyche right now. Oh, wow. That's, that's a huge question, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> the global human psyche. Um, 
I think we are at kind of a crossroads right now, right? Where we are, uh, we have this opportunity to really think about how we want to um, entertain some of these really deep structural um, social problems that we've we've been having, right, for hundreds, thousands, really, of years, mm. um, and take the time to dive deep into those uh, and and either solve them uh, or or take the time to really um, think about how we got here and what we can do to move forward mm. or we can keep going right where where we are you know not not getting to the heart of the problems right so um, one of the things that I've been noticing, recently, you know, throughout this year where we've been dealing with the pandemic, where you, you see a lot of, oh, you know, once we get through the pandemic and, and all of this, and and yes, it is a, a crisis, um, but a lot of what we're dealing with is not new, mm. right? It's not new. The pandemic has exposed how our systems are are broken already, how our systems can't handle what we've been trying to place on them, right? Mm. But it, the problems we're having are not unique. They're not new. They're not, they're not things that, that we shouldn't have been working to solve before. And now they're pushed to the forefront. And we, again, we have this opportunity to really um, address them or say, well, this is a this is a crisis. We get through the crisis and then we move on like before. So my hope is that we really don't look at this like a the, a lens of the the coronavirus pandemic, the lens of you know 2021, 2020, um, that we really take the opportunity to open up that lens and address what's been barreling toward us for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Do you think that the pandemic has influenced what we prioritize, whether as individuals or as businesses? Oh, for sure. Right. I mean, I think um, a lot of people have started to think more about um, how we prioritize our families, how we prioritize our relationships, how we prioritize um, a lot of different social issues, uh, definitely. But what I don't know yet is are those prioritizations things that will remain mm. or are they things that will slowly go back to to an older way of of thinking about things right so when you're in a crisis you see that readjustment mm. right and does the readjustment stick or does the readjustment then then go back? And you're sort of seeing it already, right? Where in the in the beginning, at least here in the United States, right in March, where people sort of came together and and were willing to make some sacrifices, or or some people were willing to make some sacrifices, and it's sort of gone away a little mm. bit, right, or a lot, <laughs> depending on your perspective, yeah. right? Or they're just tired of it, right? And I, my guess is that that's going to sort of continue. Right where it's like this individualistic approach to to society that we have here mm-hmm. in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, right? I don't know if we're gonna continue down that path, or we're really gonna have a reset where um, 
we're able to think deeply again about about how we approach things. I mean, it's a big day here, right? Yeah. Uh, the inauguration <laughs> is today. We're, uh, it's an exciting day, I guess, depending on, on your politics and, and how you view the world. Although I would hope no matter you know, how you see the world, how you're, no matter what your politics are, no matter what anything is, right, that we can all see a change mm-hmm. um, and all see a day like this as a, as a, um, a wonderful and, and exciting day. Um, but we have some social problems, right, some systemic problems here that really we need to take a hard look at. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of people suffering. Mm-hmm. I know that a lot of your work also focuses on business ethics, which is mm-hmm. so important right now. Yeah. And I'd like to ask, you know, given that we're facing so many crises, what do you think are the biggest risks and opportunities that organizations are challenged with? So I'm, I'm thinking, you know, we can take this in any direction, but whether right. we want to talk about the climate crisis, social inequality, or political change, um, through your lens of business ethics, what do you see as the biggest risks and opportunities right now? Business issues are social issues. Social issues are business issues. And so for me, I think the biggest opportunities and the biggest risks are the same, right? Businesses have to decide where they're placed in society. So are you part of the solution? Are you part of the Mm -hmm. problem? Are you trying to be part of a global positive um, change, a global positive net, you know, impact, right? And so I think it is really difficult to make that decision as a business, right? So when you're thinking about business in maybe the old way or, or the way some people still think about it, it's, you know, oh, I'm just, I'm just here to make a profit, right? Um, And I would challenge that those things aren't necessarily, opposed, right? So when you look at business and and making a profit or or you know going out into the marketplace in that way, you can still be a positive contributor, right? And mm-hmm. so um, I think businesses have a lot of of introspective thought that they have to to do about how they want to be placed, right? How they want to think about their role as global citizens. And for me, um, again, here in the U.S., but really worldwide, it's it's a tricky decision to make, right? We have a lot of mm-hmm. things going on, um, the Black Lives Matter movement, right? The coronavirus pandemic, that everything's been politicized, right? Mm-hmm. And so businesses have to, they have to make a choice um, about what their role is going to be. And even if they don't outwardly seem to make a choice, they're making a choice, right? Mm-hmm. And so... Um, they have to do a lot of deep thinking about what that is going to look like for them and their role. Uh, it's not just about making a product and selling it anymore, if it ever was. You know, we, we have to really think about what our what our role is as citizens. In the law, um, it's, it's kind of interesting here, again, in the U.S., businesses, corporations are considered people, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think about it that way, too, in the way that they operate, that you're just a bunch of people putting together this this business and putting out a product, putting out a service or whatever. And so all the decisions you make 
are a bunch of people, right, um, impacting the world, right? So you, it's important to be thinking about all of those decisions and, and how those are influencing your customers, how those are influencing your shareholders, how those are influencing, you know, the government, the everyone who's out there, right? Those are all people that are influenced by the things you're doing. And so it's, it's important to make those distinctions and decisions uh, matter. Mm. It's interesting hearing you conceive of, well, <laughs> hearing the law, you're just relaying it, but like, conceiving of these companies as people. Because, of course, if we were to meet a group of people who expressed themselves and made the decisions that they did in the way that many of these companies do, we wouldn't necessarily want to hang out with them in the pub after work. No, right? Of course. <laughs> of course, right? <laughs> Yeah, you're totally right. Mm -hmm. I mean, we give them religious freedom, right? We give them freedom of speech. We give, I mean, all of these things, they're given the rights and freedoms and protections of people. And so they should have the expectations of people as well in how they conduct themselves in the marketplace Mm -hmm. as far as, you know, being socially responsible. Mm, completely agree with you. And I think especially now, you know, in, in the research of the book that I'm writing, I was exploring some of the biggest changes we're seeing in consumer behavior and what we're valuing. And a lot of it centers around a desire for purpose and meaning and connection, which of course is nothing new in the history of mm-hmm. humankind. What I find curious is that it seems as though our quest for purpose and meaning and connection is no longer held within the private sphere of our personal lives. It, it seems to be making connections and bridges into what we expect from a work context. Do you see this shift happening in the work that you're doing? Are people wanting the organizations they work for to support them, to give them a sense of purpose, to give them a sense of belonging? Oh, absolutely. I think that that is a definite, and I'm seeing it, um, especially in my students, I'm seeing that shift. So uh, we'll talk about you know, where are you willing to work and what's a deal breaker, right? And what what kinds of companies are you willing to buy for? Where are you willing to go work? We're finding that those kind of connections and support are so important to people, especially younger employees, younger workers. Um, They're really wanting that support and connection Mm -hmm. and that meaningful purpose out Mm -hmm. of their out of their work, it's becoming more and more important. I think it's, it's one of these things that's probably quite tricky to map the full extent of now. But if you were going to make a, an educated guess about what you think is happening for your students to be coming and saying, well, actually, <laughs> a deal breaker is that I need to have meaning and purpose working for this company. Where do you think that's coming from? My, in my mind, I kind of think maybe it's because we're moving towards a more secular society. Maybe we're losing some of our old rituals. Um, what are your thoughts about why this trend might be happening now? It's so interesting. Um, I think it's a lot of things, right, as as everything is, right? <laughs> it's hard to pinpoint one yeah, yeah. thing. Um, I I wonder if it's possibly our, our connectedness over social media, right, and our access to information, our ability to... Um, 
learn more about the companies we work for, learn more about other people and their experiences and make those connections in other places. So it's it's twofold, right? In one way, we're getting all of this information, we're making all of these connections, we're doing all of these things virtually or through technology that are providing us access to information and, and giving us all of these connections. But then in the other way, that's sort of isolating us, right? And so mm-hmm. we're looking for these more meaningful connections and support in our actual lives, mm-hmm. um, which our jobs are. So mm-hmm. I think that we sort of really are craving personal connection and support in the spheres that we have Mm -hmm. because we've gotten so focused on technology. So it's sort of a a twofold um, technology-based answer, I guess. Mm. (laughs) It's interesting because I think from that perspective, and you hold within your answer the potential for connection and the potential for maybe a sense of isolation. And I wonder, you know, with with some of the work that I've read that you've written, which has been fascinating, looking at Mm -hmm. the impacts of remote working practices. Obviously, it can be liberating for some people, but it's also been disastrous for others. What are your thoughts about some of the impacts of of tech on how we work, especially when it's remote? I think it's really difficult to make a sweeping statement on that, right? Because Mm -hmm. I think for some people, it has been really beneficial, right? So... Mm -hmm. Um, the ability to work from home, the flexible hours, all of those kind of things have made it so that some people can do jobs they wouldn't otherwise be able to do. On the flip side, it has been absolutely disastrous for some people. I mean, it, mm. you know, I, I have a really hard time getting my job done. <laughs> mm. um, I, I don't want to say it's disastrous. I'm making it work. I have, <laughs> I have four children. Um, <laughs> 19, 16, 13, and 11, uh, all boys. Mm. And um, <laughs> it, it really is exactly what it sounds like when you hear it out <laughs> loud. Um, and they're all sort of schooling in a, a multitude of ways um, at, mm. at home and, and in person. And it is, there are many days where it's just impossible to do anything. And I spoke, um, I presented a paper last week at the Care Crisis Symposium here at IU, and it was all these, mm. all these people coming together, mostly women, some men, um, but mostly women, just talking about how difficult this year has been for working, working professional women, right? Because there's mm-hmm. so many different categories of, of women right now, mm-hmm. um, working professional women with children and how it's just been very difficult, right? Very difficult to, to meet all of those, all of those roles and fill all of those yeah. boxes. And that doesn't even that doesn't even start to scratch the surface of all of the women who are having to go in person for these essential worker roles, who can't get childcare, and then the disproportionate impact on women of color, Black women, Latinx women, who are losing jobs much more significantly here in the U.S. at least, both losing those jobs and also leaving jobs because they can't get childcare. Right. So Mm -hmm. it's uh, so many different directions to go with this. 
But the the pandemic, and again, I I hate to narrow the lens, right? Because I, I yeah, don't yeah. think it's a COVID-19 problem. I think it is a much bigger problem than this, but it it obviously has has shined the light on it. The impact on women, even more significantly Black women and women of color, has been just astounding. And mm-hmm. so, yes, wonderful that we have these, these resources, wonderful that we have flexibility, wonderful that we have technology, but these are resources, right? These are things that we have that, that cannot exist in a vacuum it, without yes. the support without tackling the gender biases, right? Without tackling all of the other things that are going on, it, it it's not helpful. Mm. I think one of the things also that, that I've noticed that connects with what you're describing is it's very easy when you look at the ways in which you use technology to create an appearance of equitability, whether it's the amplification of messages that we stand in solidarity with or the flexibility that often women who are typically the primary caregivers long for. You know, it's easy to say, well, now you've got amplification, now you've got flexibility, but actually without changes in the substrate, changes in the structure of society that makes it possible for women not to have to spend most of their time, as has been the case in the research that I've read, instead of spending the time on work, they're having to spend the time on childcare because they can't get anyone else to come in or it's not possible because of restrictions. There needs to be a really big course correction, I think, in terms of how we value and structure the working roles, whether it's caregiver or whatever it might be, to make it possible for everyone to to fulfill their potential. I, I know that's a very utopian view, but right. what are your thoughts on that? You're kind of what's your take on that? I mean, that's exactly it, right? Like we are creating this appearance of equality, right? And that just doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And it's it is a very frustrating wall to come up against, right? Because you see it in in so many conversations, you see it in writing, you see it in in really everything. And it just, we're not solving the problems with technology. We're not solving the problems with the things we're putting in place. So we have to go deeper. We do. We have to go deeper and recognize like, okay, flexible work is great, right? Flexible work is actually necessary. And, Mm. you know, being able to work from home is great. It's necessary. All of these, but these are first steps, right? These are, these are just baseline first steps to tackling this problem. They're not solving our problem, right? They're just, they're just getting us, you know, in the door, Right. Mm. And so understanding that providing, let's say, a working professional mom um, the ability to be at home with flexible hours is a good first step. You are not solving her issue of still having all of those children at home without child care. Right. Mm. Like you did Mm. not solve that problem especially during the pandemic, right? When you, what are you going to do? You're, I'm not going to bring somebody mm. in my home. That's, that's totally unsafe, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, I'm not going to send my kids to childcare, also totally unsafe. So understanding that, that these first steps are really great and important and we're lucky to have them um, are still just first steps. Yeah. Because obviously this is such a huge question and it really does require reassessing the foundations of how we build society and business because obviously these things are interlinked as you mentioned Mm -hmm. 
um, at the beginning of our conversation. What are your thoughts about some of the things that companies can do to begin to address these inequalities? So one of the things that I think is really, really important is that we still are lacking seriously and significantly in our leadership with women uh, and mm. specifically, again, Black women, women of color, both. And so when you're tackling these issues, you're still, again, at the top, traditionally having you know white men as your larger, much, much larger group uh, of decision makers. And that's not, mm-hmm. it's not bad. White men are, you know, fine, right? They're, they're making good decisions and all of these things. But research shows that a diverse group of decision makers in leadership, they're just going to make better decisions, right? You're, mm-hmm. you have a much broader lens, a much broader you know, group of, of people with lots of different experiences, viewpoints, yeah, yeah. And, and all of these things. So even though maybe at the bottom, at the, at the entry level, we're doing a, a slightly better job of getting people in the door, we're still not doing a good enough job of moving people up. Right. So we've got these these systems in place to maybe recruit. Um, but then once people are in the door, we're not doing a good enough job supporting people. We're not doing a good enough job promoting people. We're not doing a good enough job in those areas. So once we get up into leadership positions, the leadership still looks like it did, you know, 30 years ago. And so, mm-hmm. I mean, that is really the most important most significant step we need to make is that we need to get our leadership looking like the rest of the country, like the rest of the world. And so Mm -hmm. uh, those decision makers represent everyone else. And, you know, if, if I am coming to the table, I'm going to be thinking about what, you know, what a typical mom of four boys is thinking about, right? That's just kind of how I, I'm going to approach a problem. It's not the best approach necessarily, but it's my approach. If a if a woman of color comes to the table, she has different experiences. If a man comes to the table, he has different experiences. All of these viewpoints are important. It's also about mm-hmm. where you grew up, right? It's also about what your family experiences were, what your religion is, if you have one, right? It's about where mm-hmm. you went to school. It's about, you know, your experiences with your siblings. It doesn't have to be race or gender or, or, you know, any of those things. It's all of your experiences. Diversity is diversity Mm -hmm. of thought, right? It's diverse. Diversity means a lot of different things, but we need decision makers to be diverse (laughs) so that we are able to make better decisions. Mm. I mean, to me, it just, it just seems crazy that we're not making the most of the extraordinary richness of experience that everyone brings to be able to innovate better and come up with creative solutions because we have all of the creativity and the experience and the imagination to actually create something really quite extraordinary. Whatever the industry, whatever the sector, whether you're you know, wanting to build a zero-waste economy or you're wanting to create um, a citizen assembly, whatever it might be, like there's so much potential that just needs to be tapped in a thoughtful, considered um, inclusive way. Well, absolutely. And the research backs it up. Mm. The diverse 
leadership and diverse organizations, they, they're they better, mm. right? They make better decisions, they're more successful. So it's not just, oh, we should be doing the right thing, which of course I believe we should be doing the right thing just because we should be doing the right thing. I believe that too. But even if you didn't believe that for some reason, if you just believed that, you know, you should be doing it because it makes your business more successful. Well, that too, Mm -hmm. it also makes your business more successful, (laughs) right? So whatever direction you want to come at it from, it it meets both categories, right? In terms of the work that you do, is there a question that you wish people would ask you that they haven't yet or that they don't ask enough? I'm not sure if this is relevant to you or not, but I am constantly frustrated by how gender issues are frequently seen as women's issues, right? How mm. how diversity is frequently seen as either a woman's issue or a people of color issue or a black person's issue, right? Um, mm. And that really frustrates me because diversity, equity, inclusion, justice, all of these issues are everyone's issue. They're societal issues, they're business issues. And so I find it frustrating, right, that we don't all come to the table, every single person understanding that these kind of things are meaningful and important to everyone. And it does it shouldn't just matter to me because I'm a woman or it shouldn't just matter to someone Uh, someone who is black or someone who is Asian or someone who whatever, right? Because they're a person of color. And that is constantly something I come up against that I really struggle with. And so that's probably Mm -hmm. (laughs) the most, um, (laughs) the most frustrating thing I deal with in my work. Mm. Yeah. It's funny how that often seems to be the, the first place people go to in their mind, it's like, well, this affects you. It doesn't affect me. And you think, right. well, <laughs> yeah, but actually, yeah. you're wrong. It does. Right. It's, uh, it, it's, you know, we're all in this together. We're, well, and we are. We're all in it together. And again, I go back to what I said before, which is even if you don't buy into the idea that you should just care because, you know, we should all care about the world being a better place and, and all of that, mm. which we should even if you only care about your business getting better, right? Even if you only care about those kind of things, then that too, right? That That is also true. So mm. I, I have this hard time understanding why people don't connect the dots with all mm-hmm. of it, but, but they don't seem to. And that's really frustrating. Like when we have these symposium, you know, like the Care Crisis Symposium last week, you know, the audience was filled with women, right? When I when I did a gender um, panel this summer with for executives with several of my colleagues, the question popped up. You know, why is the panel filled with women? Mm-hmm. Um, it, the the question is always sort of either directly asked or floating there, yeah. right? This out there in the in the air somewhere, and and I really. Um, I, I don't love it, right? Mm-hmm. I, I I directly address it usually because that's my way. Um, and 
and I I talk about it with my students often. So I I had a um a class in the fall where we were talking about gender and the class was very quiet and I said to them, you know, what why are we so quiet today, right? What what's mm. what's going on? Why today in particular uh, are we so quiet when, you know, last week we were we were so lively. And um one of the young men in my in my class said, "Well, you know, this just it feels like I don't have a place to speak. I'm not a woman, oh. and so I don't I don't feel like I should be the one to talk about this." And so there were a couple comments like that. Mm. And then one of the young women raised her hand and she said, "Well, I just don't want to be perceived as whiny, right? Or or, mm. you know, Aww. so it right? And so mm. it's just so fascinating where we're both um, kinds of comments come out and you think, oh my goodness, right? Mm, mm. Because then everyone <sighs> feels like they don't have the possibility for voicing their experience, right. which makes us all poorer for it. It's an everyone issue and we've got to be having these conversations. So, yeah. Mm. I'm wondering if this question is going to connect back in with some of the early answers, but I am curious to ask, if you had to choose a few qualities, one or two qualities that you felt are absolutely key to the long-term success and resilience of a business. So we've already mentioned inclusivity, but maybe there are other qualities there as well. What might those qualities be? What would you look for? They need to be flexible, right? They need to be able to look out and see what is going on and be willing to make changes in light of what they Mm. see and what they perceive as as going on in in the world with with their people. Um, and directly linked to that communication, I guess I would say is number one. So a business that mm. is is able to communicate well, uh, communicate well with their employees, with their um, with everyone, but mostly with their employees, is going to be the most successful. So leadership that is able to really hear, right, what's going on throughout their entire organization Mm -hmm. is going to be able to make those changes, right, be flexible and and understand the challenges, right, understand what they can can do, what they can't do, right, because you're not going to always make changes based on what your employees want, but at least you're going to you're going to open up that line of communication so that your employees feel heard and understood and know that you are there for them and understanding what's going on. So flexibility, communication, not in that order. And then I would say alignment. So when I say alignment, I mean an organization has to be aligned all the way through ethically, right? So you mm. you have to be talking the talk and walking the walk, right? For lack of a better um, <laughs> way of saying it. When your external systems and your internal systems aren't all the way together, then something's going to fall apart. So your leadership, your employees, what you're putting out into the world, all of the things have to be on the same page. And so mm. you get some of these organizations who will say, oh, we value honesty and we we value transparency and we, we value all of these things, right? They'll have this great mission statement, they'll, all this stuff that they'll, they'll put out there on paper that looks amazing. But then you get into their organization and they're not really living their values, 
Mm-hmm. And so the most successful organizations you'll see are actually living it. And it has to be it has to be through every single piece. Are you living it in your hiring? Are you living it mm-hmm. in your in your when you let somebody go, right? Are you living it in your promotion processes? Are you living it in all of your meetings, right? Every single piece of what you do as an organization has to be aligned with the things that you say you care about. Mm-hmm. Those are the most successful organizations, and those those will continue to be the most successful organizations because employees know that you mean what you say. Mm. And so to move towards the end of our interview, I'd love to ask, within the context of the future of work, what kind of world would you like to see emerge from how we deal with this crisis? I would like to see a world where we are valuing each human, each employee, each person's contributions for those very human contributions instead of these sort of um, arbitrary, how many hours did you work Mm, or, mm. you know, where did you go to school or um, these sort of, uh, again, arbitrary boxes that we've, we've made Mm. up. I think in a lot of businesses and, and academia and really everywhere we have, we've put in place these systems in a lot of places that just don't make sense. And we have a lot of people coming in that have non-traditional backgrounds Mm. who have amazing gifts to give us and to give of themselves and who want to, right? And so I would like to see us move in a direction where we are able to open our minds and our hearts really to to understand that that work and business and society and all of those things don't have to be sort of boxed into these categories we've put them in so far. Mm. Um, I had this job right out of law school where I worked for a judge. I, I was a clerk for the 10th Circuit Court of Appeals. Oh, well. And, and um, yeah, it was, it was fantastic. And so he, he's this amazing man. Um, so I had, I was pregnant actually my third year of law school and I delivered my son five days after graduation. It was oh terrible. <laughs> I know it was terrible. <laughs> you are a fierce woman. I know it was, it was not the best plan. And so <gasps> I, my husband and I moved to, to Salt Lake City two weeks after that. And mm-hmm. I mean, only in a way that you do when you're young and you don't know what you're doing, right? And so <laughs> I had accepted the job. I interviewed and accepted when I was seven months pregnant. Again, just not knowing what I was doing. And so I got, <laughs> I got to Salt Lake and I have this baby and he's just cried all the time. And I was in the throes of this just debilitating postpartum depression. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know, right? I was I was undiagnosed and I had no idea. And so anyway, I called up the judge and I said, I'm so sorry, uh, but I just am not going to be able to come work for you. I just can't. I won't be able to do this. Mm. And he said, oh, absolutely not. He said, you you will come work and you'll just bring, you'll just bring your baby with you. It'll be fine. You can bring him every day and, and and you can come. And so I, 
Over the next four years, I brought my baby with me every day and then another baby actually, so four years. And (laughs) I would go into the office and I had my own little area and I would work whatever hours I could manage and I worked from home and I did all of these things and we were amazing, right? We did this amazing work and it was super flexible and the creative output was fantastic, right? And so what I learned from that experience was that when I was given this this opportunity to just do what I needed to do mm-hmm. to be okay, right? Mm-hmm. To to just um, take care of my child and take care of myself, that I could still be an amazing employee, right? Mm-hmm. I could do amazing work. I could, you know, do this this job in a way that was excellent, but I could also be wonderful and okay personally, right? It, mm-hmm. it was just this human way of managing people. And it wasn't unique. So then I learned, you know, there were clerks that were, you know, skiing all day and working all night. And there were, you know, he just he just managed people in a way that was fascinating to me. What an extraordinary and, uh, person. It really, he really, really was. And so uh, but our but our chambers was consistently putting out again excellent excellent work right so mm-hmm. not, we weren't we weren't in any way not doing our jobs in fact we were doing a wonderful job right so <laughs> after that you know i started thinking to myself what what is this idea of of work that we have right where mm-hmm. we think that people have to just you know, fit in this box that that some manager has told them, you know, you have to sit at your desk from this time to this time and, mm-hmm. and look at this computer or, or whatever. And, and that's the way that work happens. Well, I don't know about you, but that's never been the way that work has happened mm-hmm. for me. I can't work like that. It's absurd, right? <laughs> and so how many people have we, have we stunted by trying to force them into this ridiculous idea of what it is to be an employee or what it is mm-hmm. to be a creative person or what it is to be, you know, out in the business world when when there are all of these wonderful humans out there ready to contribute to society in their own way. So um, that's my long-winded way of telling you what I hope for for the future. <laughs> that's so inspiring. And just extraordinary it's really uplifting to hear especially from a chap in a position of power right how really being yeah just taking the chance to be so audacious and change the way that other people have done things in order to get the best from his people and to create such an extraordinary environment it's that's very uplifting I mean it's it's both right like you think on the one hand you think to yourself I mean how wonderful and lucky and fortunate, right? Because without that, I would have likely tanked my entire career, right? Because then I would have had no job and I would have just turned down, I mean, the 10th Circuit Court of Appeals and then what would I have done with my life, mm-hmm. right? Um, so this this man, this powerful man saved my career and likely the careers wow. of a lot of other people and thank goodness. So wonderful. But then on the other hand, you think, to yourself, like it shouldn't have to be that way, right? Like mm. we we need mm. we need it to be that way, just uh, as a general rule, right? Like not as the exception. So that's yes. my hope for the future, right? That we don't have to count <laughs> on a powerful man 
like saving our lives, right? Mm-hmm. Because that mm-hmm. just that's just ridiculous, honestly. And again, I'm so grateful. I mean, he's my hero and all of those things, right? He's, he's, he's an amazing, wonderful role model and, and a fantastic human being, but it shouldn't have to be that way. Yeah. It'd be nice not to need heroes in the first place. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so for people who are listening to that, especially um, if you're listening and you're in a position of leadership and business, Stephanie, what would you suggest as something that people can do or maybe contemplate on to help us move in the direction that you just described with that kind of work environment being more of a norm than the exception? I think anyone who's in a position of leadership needs to be moving in that direction. We need to stop thinking about work in the more traditional ways that we've been thinking about it. We need to be more creative in our thought processes as leaders and understand that everyone has a different way of working, a different way of being creative, a different way of processing information and all of those things and and really challenge ourselves to to understand that and and open up those opportunities and take those risks as leaders, take those risks for our employees. Thank you for listening to The Hive Podcast with me, Natalie Nahai. To find out more about today's guest and the themes we explored, please visit the show notes page at natalienahai.com forward slash The Hive Podcast. If you've enjoyed the series, please do share it with your friends and give it a rating or review. And for more insights and insider tips, you can join my newsletter as well. My thanks to Caro C for producing. Thank you for listening. And I look forward to sharing more with you in the next episode.